Free Will makes TV and streaming advertising work. As part of Comcast Advertising's family of brands, Free Will connects the entire industry, offering buyers and sellers the most direct path to supply and demand. This unified platform creates benefits for all, including greater access to inventory, more transparency into transactions, better control over pricing, and higher returns on investment. Get started today at freewill.com. That's F-R-E-E-W-H-E-E-L.com. This week on Next in Media, I spoke with Larry Fitzgibbon. He's the co-founder and CEO of Tastemead. Tastemead is the food and travel-centric media company that actually dates back to YouTube's original channel strategy back in 2012. Larry and I talked about how the company's been able to adapt to the emergence of all these new platforms over the years, like Snap and TikTok, and of course, the ever-changing tech business models. And of course, we discussed Tastemade's emergence today as a major CTV player. Let's get started. Welcome to Next in Media. I'm Mike Shields. My guest this week is Larry Fitzgibbon. He's the co-founder and CEO of Tastemade. Hey, Larry, thanks for being here. Great to be here, and thanks a lot for having me, Mike. I'm excited. You and I talked many years ago. It's been a while, but I, I was covering the company back when I was probably at the Journal or Adweek when it, when it was just getting started. But I think it'd probably it'd be cool and fun to talk about the whole journey if we could maybe. But let's just start from the beginning because this was like the pre-CTV days and it was mostly YouTube world. What was the idea behind Tastemade? Like where did this... What made you think this was going to work? Where did it come from? And then we can get into like what happened. Yeah, we started out in 2012. Um, at that time, really the only video platform around was YouTube. And so, uh, yeah, we started off as kind of a original YouTube play, you know, both in kind of two two pieces. One, we were one of the funded channels. If you remember at that, at that time, YouTube was funding. The funded yeah, channels, yes. A little old school. They spent about $200 million on original content, trying to, you know, essentially up-level and change the, you know, kind of change the perception of YouTube at the time. And so we were, I think we were the last funded channel in the U.S. That was like Shaq, Madonna, and then you got like companies That's like right. you, like the natives and the celebs. Yeah, thing. most of them you aren't, aren't around anymore, um, but uh, but Tastemade still yeah. is. And then the other piece to it, right, we were, we were kind of thinking about how we could create a new kind of network, a video network. And so the other thing we did was we aggregated uh, smaller channels on the platform. So in the end, we aggregated probably about, I think a little over 300 channels globally um, and had a pretty scaled audience. And so the, the proposition to partners and brands at the time was uh, you could get the, you know, the, the premium experience with the Tastemade brand, but we could also extend you into all of these other channels and creators uh, that were focused on the the category of food. Tastemade today is in the categories of right. food, travel, home design, but at our origins, we were very focused on food. And we sort of saw it as an opportunity to be kind of like a new version of the Food Network. We were big fans of what Scripps Interactive had created with their channels, and we were trying to re-envision that for the modern age. Right. And at that point, I remember the conversations were like, the scripts of the world are probably not going to do this because they got to protect their carriage deals. And obviously, cord cutting was a thing, but it wasn't like what it is now. So there was an open opportunity. Were you seeing, remind me, were you seeing like a lot of food column content creators now, like uh, influencers pop up then? Or were you trying to see that? Like, was there, what, what made you think, well, there's like an, uh, an opportunity to do like an alternative to the cable model? Oh, they were absolutely there, right? Um, there, as I mentioned, uh, 
you know, we had to go around the world. I will say that right now there's probably 300 starting every day on TikTok. Um, but uh -huh, when right. we were starting out, um, we really started to build a community around the, the YouTubers at that time. I rightly said that they weren't very really called creators. They were really just YouTubers. Um, and we started to build a community around, um, all these folks and, some were in the U.S., but in order to get to the scale we wanted to, we really had to start to go around the world and build relationships with the leading YouTubers in Brazil or Argentina or the U.K. or Japan. And that's what we did. We really built a food community, people who were very excited and active about kind of creating food video online. Um, and uh, that would enabled us to have enough kind of scale and audience that we could then uh, turn around and talk, start to talk to advertisers about the opportunities. And, at that, and again, I'm going way back on a lot in a lot of ways. But at that point, there was the, there was the MCN universe, right, the multi-channel networks, and there was everybody had a different way of doing it. But there was a lot of them were like ad networks first and brand second, I guess, or they were trying to build provide creators with the tools and background, but they weren't. They, you were, were you, correct me if I'm wrong, you were always trying to build a brand. Yeah, that was fundamental to what we were trying to do. Um, absolutely. Um, we thought that was just going to be important. And particularly in this environment, right, we were trying to, one, attract, you know, we were obviously going to be prolific on YouTube, but we also wanted to be a good partner to other uh, platforms. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. They started to really emerge and everyone started to get into video. And so, we wanted to be a brand and a channel, effectively, that would be attractive to distribution. But we saw that there was real problems for advertisers, particularly back then. Um, they weren't; they just weren't familiar with these new platforms, right? And they didn't have any; they didn't really know how to create native content for any of these platforms. They certainly didn't know how to do any yep. native advertising, and they just didn't understand this world. So, a lot of what we would do in the early days is we have a studio in Santa Monica, still have it. Um, and it was just a great place to bring our community together where we would have creators, YouTubers, but we'd also bring brands in. We'd bring Google, who was our big partner at the time. All the YouTube people would come over um, to really kind of create a community so people could start to understand what this new world is. It was and is kind of the re-envisionment of what, you know, TV was. Um, and right. it was just, you know, it was the early days. It was 2012 or, you know, at, at this time. There was no Facebook, you know, video. There was no Instagram. There was no, there was no uh, TikTok. There was no Snapchat. So this is the early days of people thinking about what a kind of a new kind of TV could look like, or at least a new type of video experience could look like. And so it was important to us to aggregate and um, kind of curate some of what uh, was on the on the platform. You know, kind of try to identify the best of the best. And so that when we went and sat down with the brand, um, you know, maybe their perception at the time was, you know, dogs on skateboards going backwards or just people yep. hanging out in their room doing stuff in front of a webcam. We could really help them understand that we were serious people, that we were absolutely trying to build a brand that we got a, we got a building. We got a we got a place you can come. That's right. You could come and physically see it and don't underestimate the power of that. I mean. So many brands, uh, they just, in their minds, it was this other thing. And, and so bringing them someplace yeah. where they could, that seemed familiar, but yet new. I mean, that was the key. We wanted to seem familiar in that it was professional, but not so professional that they were, they were kind of locked in the old way of doing things. Because in order to be successful in this new world, you really had to be able to create high quality content, but at very efficient 
cost. And that's still true to today. Well, you know, we'll talk about what we're doing in the fast ecosystem. That's sort of fundamental even 10 years later. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to ask you about the fast stuff. I, I want to go through maybe some of the evolution without making you go through every single platform, but over the over this period of time, you had, like you said, I remember there was a period when all of a sudden Facebook in feed video just exploded and then Instagram video, then the whole stories thing snap and it, you know, and obviously TikTok in the last couple of years. What is your, what have you guys done all in the way? Did you have to shift strategies for every single one of these things and just produce everywhere? Did you find that different things worked? Did you abandon some? Like, what, what was that? What's that evolution been like if you can sum it up? Yeah, we really wanted to be first and be the innovators and be people who really figure this out. And so one of the benefits we had versus maybe some of the other types of companies that, that you know, you uh, maybe some of the publishers is that we never had to kind of pivot to video. We're a pure play video company. We never kind of moved to video and moved right. away. You get lumped in with the BuzzFeeds and boxes, but you're really fundamentally different. That's right. right. Thanks for saying that. We appreciate that. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but, uh, well, we, we respect those guys, but, you know, we are different. Um, we just had a different vision in mind, right? Again, we went back to, we were trying to be a modern version of, you know, the Food Network, the Travel Channel, HGTV. Those were sort of our... Um, uh, mighty opposites, if you will, the companies that we respected, but we thought there could be a new way. And so uh, we benefited, I think, from not having to kind of shift into video and shift out. We just have been in video and figured it out um, in every evolution. So what that allowed us to do is when new platforms would launch, all the ones you mentioned, whether it's Facebook Stories or Pinterest Video, or like you said, Snapchat. Sure. Snapchat, we were one of the first discover partners if you remember they're the only content yeah. on snapchat in 2015 were you know 20 channels and tastemade was one of those channels like comedy central a few other yeah you guys are one of the big ones yeah wall street journal i think nbc was maybe there and so they they picked some premium brand partners and that was kind of the role that we played um throughout this evolution of all the platforms in in investing in and focusing on on video and that's still true today right we are still you know, you know, innovating in areas like shoppable video and retail media and things like that right now. Right. So yeah, our, our goal was to be what we set out to be, right. To be a modern channel and a modern channel, you would be able to access anywhere, but you would still do the things that you would do for a channel. You'd create a great brand. You'd create great content underneath that brand and you would attract distribution, you know, in this case, all the social platforms, as well as uh, advertisers to want to be in that environment. And that's what we've been striving to do since, uh, really since inception. Along the way, the business models offered by those platforms have, have, have evolved. Like you had, you had, YouTube was paying people, other platforms weren't initially, they eventually funded some, they're not others. How has it evolved over time and how has it affected your decision-making? Like, okay, we, we have to make money from day one. Are we always going to be a direct seller? Are we always going to have some hybrid model? What has that been like? Yeah, it has it has come with its challenges, uh, as as I think you've identified. Um, uh, what I would say is early on, I think, and early on, this is like 2012, right? As I mentioned, we were one of the first funded channels from YouTube. Certainly in 2012, we thought we were at the very beginning of a kind of a transition in kind of video online, and that uh, those types of opportunities would kind of continue. And you know what I think we quickly found out was they they weren't right. So the way that program worked was, yes, YouTube funded, you know, maybe for a couple of years in that ecosystem, spent hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, but after those initial deals, 
they kind of made the choice that they're not going to fund content, right? They're going to just open up the ecosystem. Right. That was to spark things, but they don't want to be, they don't want to thumb on the scale the whole time. That's right. So we were, I think, you know, maybe hopeful, you know, this again, maybe it was, we were a pretty young company, you know, that sure. was our first deal as a company. And so we were certainly hopeful this was the beginning of a, like a, a broad transition on how the internet was going to work. And so I think we found out pretty early that that wasn't going to be the case. And so, um, you know, we had to go figure it out, right? We still wanted to create high quality video. We still wanted to make um, compelling content under our brand. And so what we did was we started to talk to brands. Um, and as I mentioned, we were fortunate in that many brands just didn't understand the video ecosystem, didn't understand how to make content native to platforms like yep. YouTube. And so, uh, you know, we were able to do deals early on with people like Anheuser-Busch and Unilever and Chase Sapphire Preferred. Those were some of our early partners where we were creating super high quality, relevant native content for platforms like YouTube. Um, and so that was really the dawn of our business model, um, sponsored content. Uh, that's when we started it out. Uh, and, you know, that's a, still the, the primary way in which we make money today. And so what I would say about the, the trials and tribulations of all the other platforms is almost every other platform has run the YouTube playbook. They may yeah. not have they may not have known they were running it when they did. Right, right. But people like us know, um, we've seen it enough to know how it works. Yeah, generally they come in, they'll come in with some kind of program where they'll fund content to kind of get things going. Um, then they'll maybe shift to uh, rev share models. Um, um, and sometimes they don't even shift to rev share models. They just kind of you know, yeah. say you're on, you're your, on own. your own. Um, and so, uh, I think we've been, we've participated in almost every single one of those programs. I mean, I, I can name probably 10 things I did with Facebook and Instagram over the, the last 10 years. Um, we did that, but you weren't living and dying on them, I guess is the, is the, is the point. No, I mean that you, you gotta be thoughtful about how you build the business and, and have, be aware. So yeah, I think we took advantage of every single opportunity there was because it was real money and we are, true innovators, right? People trying to get to kind of that vision I talked about and on the road, you need to, to make sure you're monetizing however you can. Um, but I think we primarily focused on treating the platform's revenue stream as sort of secondary to that primary revenue stream for us, which is how do we build relationships with brands and deliver them something compelling on all these new platforms as they're navigating this new territory. Every one of these platforms, as we talked about this, they all had their moments and they had programs like you mentioned, but, but TikTok seems to be special or it's just enormous and it's changed behavior so much the last couple of years and in particular around food. How has that, what has that impact been like on your company? Has it sucked away time and energy from everything else or what's it look like? Yeah, I think we're always looking across where, uh, which platforms are most relevant. I mean, our, the audience that we really set out originally to pursue was, was millennials, right? That was the, the, the demo that wasn't yeah. watching as much traditional TV. Um, now, obviously that's Gen Z and millennials. We kind of picked them up on, you know, probably first platform we really started to see, um, Gen was, Gen Z was on Instagram, um, and snap. And so we've picked that, that cohort up as well. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a, it's it's dynamic, right? And then we also see just the the dynamics of the platforms themselves. Like, don't underestimate uh, a platform's lack of interest in something, right? Um, if they are, yeah. um, you know, pursuing different things that are maybe more important to them, that that platform may quickly become less relevant to us as a. They're telling you something exactly yeah. as a as a publisher, and so 
or as a creator. And so, yeah, TikTok's just been amazing. And what's so powerful, I think, about that platform is it just sort of changed the game in terms of um, it didn't have to be about how many followers you you had, right? It didn't have to be about um, how popular you already were. Um, There was this opportunity for anyone to start to break out. um, And, you know, that was, I think, just really exciting to see. And you've just seen so many... You know, you've seen new aesthetic, you've seen new styles of, of the way content is created. Um, absolutely, the quality is in how entertaining it is, right? Um, there is no kind of uh, uh, highbrow. High I mean, none of this stuff is amazing, but there's no kind of uh, yeah. highbrow high, high perceived standard for what good is or quality is. Yep. Um, there's just, I think, really talented people every day creating new content there. And we're, we're, we do a great job on 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 that platform around the world, um, and so uh, we continue to be relevant. And it's a great destination for brands to partner with us there as well. Okay, let's take a quick break. I'm here with David Warren. He's the chief product officer at Freewheel. So, David, what's the biggest challenge for video advertising, and what needs to be done? Thanks, Mike. So, we see the biggest challenge in the marketplace is the level of fragmentation, where all of your inventory and all of your media is showing up in so many different places across different devices, across different channels, and that makes it really hard to plan and measure and execute all of your campaigns in all these places that have different capabilities. So what we're focused on is first, what can we do to make all of that inventory dynamic so that you're asserting a different ad every single user, every single time they're watching. You're able to make it addressable so that different ad is influenced by an advertiser's first and third party data so that they're seeing the right ad and the right message at the right person at the right time. And then we we can make it all programmatic so that it's automated, so that end-to-end transacting is as easy as possible and dynamic and fluid as possible. And when all that's happening, we think that's going to solve some of the complexity and make it really fluid for the market to transact and to grow. Sounds good. Thank you, David. Thank you, Mike. This might be a hard answer uh, because it's it's maybe a generalization, but how do you you balance production for every one of you? Like, are you constantly making a piece of content and recutting it for every single different vehicle? Are you making everything native because that's the way it's got to be and that's much more difficult or is it really dependent on the creator and the brand and all that stuff? Yeah, I think in the early days, it was really critical to, uh, you really had to, had to be a native producer, right? You had to really think about these platforms uniquely and and kind of how consumers were interacting with the content on the platform. Um, and the idea of just sort of porting stuff over this really wasn't gonna gonna work, right? Um, because we saw that's essentially what the TV people did in the early days of YouTube or or yep. other platforms, even Snap. Um, you know, I think we were one of the. I know this will seem. I don't know what it will seem, but uh, we were one of the first people to do vertical video on Snapchat. Well, that was kind of well, that was kind of like revolutionary, a little bit like crazy. Yeah, that's right. There was a, like a USA Today article explaining how we did it. Right, that, no one wants to watch that way. Yeah, that's right. It seems crazy, right? But the 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 original people who brought you know people and NBC people who were bringing ESPN people who were bringing content to Snapchat at the time were bringing it over in four by you know had it look look like television, right, uh, or sixteen by nine, um, and so uh, we were a true innovator in in you know, bringing vertical video content to the, the, that platform from a publisher, right? Obviously, that time, right. Um, people were sending snaps back and forth, but as a publisher, that was like a novel thing. And so um, I think in the early days, it's critical to really nail the nativeness 
uh, of the platform or you're just not going to be successful because I think the audience will sort of sleuth out that you're not really part of that community. What I would say now is we have such insight into how all these platforms work is we like to say we shoot once and use many. Um, and the way we do that, right, is when we're shooting content now, um, we shoot everything in 4K, but in post, we can edit out all the different versions. And when we're shooting, we're thinking about all the distrib distribution at once. So a good example of this is we have a show called Struggle Meals. It's uh, originally started as a Facebook watch show. You remember when Facebook wow, watch yeah. watched? Um, it was a funded show by Facebook. Um, and for that show, uh, you know, started there, but then we started to port it to all these different places. So it became a very successful and still is today, a Snapchat show. Um, it has its own presence. That show has its own presence on platforms like YouTube and others. Um, so now when we shoot that content, um, and it's a, it's a, our most popular streaming show as well on television. Now, when we shoot that show, and this has been true for quite some time, Again, we shoot it in 4K. We know that it's going to go to all these different destinations. We know all the different beats that we need to make it successful on, you know, as a snap show or make it successful on Instagram. And so we're editing, you know, we capture everything, but then edit out for all those different platforms. Okay. You're now more than a decade old. You've been through all these different evolutions. We're in this crazy, hot, fast growing. First of all, you've seen the consumption of streaming television change radically the last couple of years. And then- the CTV ad market is really hot. I remember talking to you you guys when you were getting on TV, but primarily through YouTube. What is your strategy now? Like, is it go to go through individual platforms to do your own app to be part of TV pr pr uh, companies? Everything, all all the above. Yeah, so we're uh, we're a true pioneer in the, what's now called the fast space. Um, but uh, yep. you know, we launched our first streaming channel. Um, on YouTube TV in 2018. Um, so we were, we kind of existed on platforms like Pluto and Zuma prior to that. But I would say kind of the beginning of this in a meaningful way was 2018 for us. And there we launched a 24 seven linear streaming television network as part of the YouTube TV bundle. So not YouTube core, but YouTube TV, they're, they're right. You're, you're flipping around and that looks like any other channel on you that You can watch uh, NBC, CNN, ESPN, and Tastemade, right? We're all, we're all in the same bucket right. in, in that platform. And so that was really the kind of the dawning of that for us, um, which was really exciting. And then we've since gone on since 2018 to be part of all the, what were called the skinny bundles. So the virtual MVPDs. So things mm -hmm. Sling, Fubo, Philo, platforms like that. We're in some of the traditional bundles. So if you're a DirecTV subscriber, you can watch us um, on DirecTV, um, both in the stream product or the, the the classic product. And then as we were building out that distribution, Fast really started to take off. And so if you want to watch us on Tubi or if you want to watch us on uh, Samsung TV Plus or Amazon has Freevee or Roku has the Roku channel, our channels are available on all those platforms as well. And many of those platforms are global. So Samsung, yep. you can roll with Tastemade all over the world. So we're huge in places like Brazil and very popular in LATAM, or you can find us in uh, places in Europe. And so um, we sort of took that beginning place with YouTube TV and really started to build behind there. And so today uh, in the US, we have the Tastemade channel, uh, which is primarily food, but you know, does things in home design and also uh, uh -huh. travel. Uh, we have Tastemade Travel. We have Tastemade Home Channel. 
And then we have Tastemade in Espanol. Those are all the networks that are available here in the United States. Um, and then, as I mentioned, we have versions of the Tastemade channel around the world um, in multiple different languages. And that's been really successful for us because um, if you go back to, again, those YouTube days, we started to do things around the world pretty early because we kind of had to, right? We wanted yeah. to do food. And the only way to do food big was to do it globally. So that's enabled us to um, set up or launch channels and some of these different markets around the world. So, you know, kind of you think about that through line from all the stuff we were just talking about. Um, you know, when we started on YouTube, we really were video centric, right? We we thought about someday that YouTube could be like our global Comcast. That's how we used to describe it. And we would have networks yeah, yeah. that were just modern versions of food, travel, and home design, right? And that's really what we've built. And it's funny to see too, YouTube has really evolved over the last 10 years as well, right? Most or probably half of YouTube's consumption now happens on the TV, right? On the big screen, and right. So this isn't really that unusual. And and so with the the launch of the virtual MVPDs and you're we lucky to great get great distribution through there, as well as all the fast channels, now well more than half of Tastemade's watch time happens on a TV. Wow. So does that, even with TikTok blowing up and, and YouTube still being strong, that's pretty wild. Even with all of those platforms, all the all the social platforms, obviously we're still very relevant on those platforms. Yeah. Um, we're doing tons of, uh, you know, kind of original posting and content there. But yeah, the, the majority of Tastemain's viewership now happens on TV, which is, is exciting to us because again, that's what we set out to do, you know, some 10 years ago. It took a little bit of a journey. Sure. Um, and we didn't totally, um, you know, know how social was going to play out and, and how we were going to participate there. Um, it was the obvious place for us to be because that's where our audience, you know, the audience we were trying to connect with was. And then um, it's just been really fun to see some of this new distribution evolve and for us to kind of get closer to that original vision we had when we started out. So a two-part question. Have you, because of that huge consumption on television, have you had to flip your production model at all where you're making more half hour shows and li more linear like scheduling or is it just using all your stuff in a in a feed kind of fashion and then how does it what is the business model like on for, for ctv right now yeah it's a great question the um in the early days we did exactly what you said right we had all this rich library the good news is we had created high quality content right so to port that right. over to television wasn't that hard um, but that was really just a, a starting place, right? The, the joke we like to say is it cost, uh, I think it, the last cable network that launched was uh, Oprah's network. And I think that cost Discovery like $600 million, at least $400 million. Wow. And um, we used to joke that we launched our network for, for, for $400,000, right? So that was, <laughs> that's sort of the difference of our economics versus maybe the traditional world's economics. Um, but yeah, that's how we started. Absolutely, you know, leveraging the library we had created over time. But no, now we create, you know, and air hundreds of hours of, you know, original content each year. Um, all that is designed for the platform that it's on, which is streaming, meaning it's half hours, an hour, you know, or, you know, movie length documentary type content. Um, you know, we're creating a ton of original content that that show Struggle Meals, I mentioned, started off as a watch um, or a Facebook watch show, went to all these other social platforms. And we just celebrated our hundredth episode of television um, with Struggle Meals. Um, our it's a funny legacy for Facebook Watch to have the space hundred episode TV show. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, it's even. I'm not even done because the host of that show also um, last year won a won a daytime Emmy, beating out the Food Network and Netflix to do so. So 
That you is know, cool. We're making high quality original programming um, for the fast and virtual MVPD ecosystem. Um, we think we're the first fast company ever to win an Emmy, which we're proud of. You know, it's super compelling. And then on the monetization side, generally how the partnerships work is some of them, the platforms themselves monetize and just write you a check. But more often than not, uh, us as a fast channel or partner gets access to a percentage of the inventory. And then once we have access to that inventory, um, we'll sell it directly to our partners um, or uh, we'll monetize it programmatically. And so the monetization on streaming is far superior than uh, what you find on social. And so that's been... Uh, as Even though it's really crowded, like you, you're, you're a... I don't want to say you're a small fish, but you're fighting against the Netflixes and Disneys out there. Is, is, it, is, more, is more of your streaming money coming in through programmatic or can you go out there and make some noise as an individual seller? We absolutely, I mean, you know, think about it. We've been talking and working with the world's best brands for the last 10 years. They're, they trust us. They know our brand. Sure. They've pretty much gone with us wherever we went, meaning if we were breaking right. new ground on Not a like platform like Pinterest right. or if we're yeah. helping them navigate uh, a platform like TikTok and, and, you know, showing how to create original content for that platform, they've always trusted us. So when we went to streaming, um, you know, they were excited to come along with us. Um, and some of them have sponsored shows like now in the same way we did sponsored content on social. We uh, sure. have some partners that we do sponsored shows. A good example of that is we have a show that aired this year called Street Psalm, um, which was a show that we did in partnership with Constellation Brands, the Wine and Spirits Division, uh, which is an amazing, cool. beautiful show. Um, so we're bringing sponsored content to streaming. Uh, we're bringing just sponsorships, right? You can sponsor Pizza Week um, on Tastemade, um, but you can also buy Spots and Dots. And there's also just a, a slew of partners that, we just never really got to, um, you know, there's maybe companies that, uh, like, a you know, an Apple or a state farm who maybe weren't that interested in creating content with others because they own all their creative and they, they do that, but sure. they want to buy their big advertisers. Uh, and so they're, they're excited to buy into, uh, the inventory. So you, oh, the, when, when you get on that TV platform, it opens more doors and where you get, you get different calls, I guess. I think it's both. Yeah. There's some buyers that um, have been with us a long time and are excited to, you know, forge new ground. And then, yeah, there's other buyers who haven't been big in the sponsored content business or, or weren't with us, right? Like right. maybe they weren't right. interested in creating content in the food category or the travel category or the home and design category and distributing it on social, but they very much value that audience. Um, you know, this is yeah. an audience that's uh, typically more affluent, excuse slightly more female than male. Um, this was the tried and true audience that, you know, uh, Scripps Networks Interactive, the owners of the Food Network, totally. HGTV, yeah. um, and the Travel Channel really made their business on the back of. And so um, the, the traditional audience is much older now. And so for advertisers who are interested in reaching, you know, a high quality audience in an addressable way in the most premium environment next to the most premium content, um, they should call us. Right. All right. <laughs> We'll, we'll give you your number at the end here. A couple more for me, Larry. The, um, the, what about, we, we've talked about several big shows, including some that have crossed platforms. Any, any big creators or shows that we should kind of like, give us a sense of, it's probably, it's probably ranges widely, but you know, the, the taste made look and feel, who, who are some big creators these days or shows we should know about? Yeah. So Struggle Muse is, is probably the most famous, um, 
uh, as I mentioned, uh, we've done, we've worked with kind of an array of talent. So we have a show called um, All of the My Grill with Chef Dale Talde. J- 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 Dale was on uh, Top Chef. Um, we have a show with Stephanie Izard, which was the first woman who ever won Top Chef. Um, and, and the woman behind cool. Girl and the Goat, if you've ever been there in Chicago or LA, it's a fantastic restaurant. So that, that's a show called The Curious Chef. Um, we've got some, some, we have a show that that's really fun, um, that, uh, kind of brings in one of our talents from, um, from our old YouTube days. Uh, there's a, there's a woman named Mia Starr and she has a show with us called Baking the Holidays. And we originally found her. That was my last yeah, question. We, we was our originally found her on YouTube, like many, 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 many years ago when she was a very young YouTuber. Uh, she's done some great stuff with us. We had a show on uh, Disney Plus called Disney's Magic Bake Off that that Tastemade produced um, mm-hmm. for Disney. She was she participated in that, and then um, she's the the star of this new show we have that's all around baking. All right, so perfectly time for the holidays, Larry. Great stuff. We could probably talk for another hour, but I, um, I want to let you go here. Thanks so much for your time. Great conversation. Thank you for having us, and uh, keep doing the good work. Thank you. A big thanks to my guest this week, Tastemade's Larry Fitzgibbon, and of course, my partners at Comcast Advertising. If you liked this week's episode, please take a moment to rate and leave a review. We have lots more to bring you, so be sure to hit the subscribe button and see you next time for more on what's next in media.